Welcome to the Soil Solutions Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Nadd, and this podcast is being produced in partnership with High Plains Journal and Great Plains Regeneration. With me today is Zach Stuckey. Welcome, Zach. Hi, Jess. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. You know, with High Plains Journal and the publisher, it really is my mission as a son and grandson to grow or just here in the heart of Kansas that we make sure soil health and our content is always practical and real. And no matter what cropping system you're in, that it impacts your bottom line immediately. Excellent. Healthy soil equals healthy people, planets and animals. And we're excited to be here. Soul Health You podcast. I am Jessica Nadd, and today it is my honor and pleasure to have on the show Mitchell Hora. He is a seventh generation farmer and entrepreneur from Southeast Iowa. Welcome to the show, Mitchell. What's up, man? Jessica, super excited to be on. Uh, bummed that we can't be at Soul Health You in person now, but um, I think the podcast is a great way to be able to continue to get the word out there, build community, and I'm I'm excited to dig in. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. So uh, 2020, we actually had our last Soil Healthy event. We were in Salina, Kansas. That's the location that we have been doing soil health education for over 20 years. Um, We're going to be back in 2023. It's going to be fantastic. The best thing about that is the trade show. So just briefly, before we deep dive into the Hora operation, Mm -hmm. um, what was it like going to Soil Healthy in 2020? Yeah, no, really awesome to be out there in 2020. My big takeaway, and I still continue to talk about it, was Ray Archuleta's talk in talking about a seven-year plan. And I keep utilizing that and, of course, praising Ray on that concept. I'd never really thought about that before, but as farmers, we've got to be thinking long-term. And to your point, you know, having folks like those that were at the trade show, those in industry that can help along your plan is really crucial, but you got to have a plan first. You got to know where you're going So that way you can work the plan backwards. You can understand what's the step-by-step going to take to actually be able to be successful, no matter what your real end goal is in seven years. Nice. So uh, definitely on the topic list for today, what's the plan? But before we get into that, who are you? Tell us a little bit about um, what's going on in Iowa. Tell me a little bit about your background because you didn't just show up. I mean, you're a young guy. You're actually named Forbes under, what is it? 30 under yeah. 25. What are you? <laughs> Something yeah, like so, that. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it's really honored to be named uh, the Forbes 30 under 30 list here recently. We were in the social impact category, uh, which is kind of interesting, but especially in looking at agriculture, looking at regenerative ag and its ability to provide that social impact. It is really interesting that, you know, that's a category that we were chosen to be representative under, but yeah, I'm 27. Uh, of course, been around ag my whole life. My first word was corn. So, uh, you know, I'm pretty well destined to do this. And, uh, so seventh generation on my family farm, we're in Southeast Iowa. Ainsworth is where the farm is at. Um, sitting at the continuum ag world headquarters right now in Washington, Iowa. And, um, family farm is about 700 acres. I bought a little 40 acre chunk after graduating from Iowa state in 2017. Uh, we've got corn, soybeans, of course, uh, but also a bunch of cereal rye, 
We've grown winter wheat, malt barley, and seed mustard as well. But our key thing is, you know, really driving the soil health systems and soil health principles. We started no-tilling in 1978, been using cover crops since 2013. Like I mentioned, you know, some of the diverse rotations and really just trying to be innovative and, and just a lot of the things that we do, it's to experiment and utilize our own farm to help farmers to overcome and avoid the excuses of why they can't make it work on their farm uh, because it can work. You just got to be creative. So doing things like relay cropping, 60 inch rows, all kinds of fun stuff to uh, be able to be, get creative, you know, and have fun and uh, figure out how we can improve our soils. And it's really, really paying off. That's amazing. So seventh generation on this property. I've actually been up to the farm. I've been to the farmhouse. I've met the family. So you're the oldest of how many kids? Five. Yeah. So I've got three younger sisters and a younger brother. And my young, my brother is a junior at Iowa State right now. Okay. And so talk to me a little bit about this. So I've, I've met the family. I've met the Hora farming family. I mean, your dad watched you go through Iowa State, you know, going into the agronomy program, knowing that you wanted to be an agronomist, crop consultant. How did you open up that conversation of change with your dad and how, how receptive was he on starting some of this regenerative? It sounds like you guys have been doing soil health for a long time, but how did you make that conversion uh, without that older generation? Yeah. And I mean, I'm in a really unique situation where when I bring an idea to dad, the answer isn't a no, that's a bad idea. Like we've always done it this way that will never work when I bring an idea to dad, it's okay, cool. Like I'm, you know, sure. Uh, let's try it. He figures out all the logistics. And then sometimes I have to kind of dial him back in a little bit, even because he's really passionate about this. He's been doing it for a long time. You know, like I said, he was instrumental in helping to implement, you know, the no-till, no-till corn is what it was in 1978. We've been a hundred percent no-till soybean since 1986. We've never tilled ahead of a soybean crop since 1986. And you know, in the eighties and stuff, they were winning yield contests and like right away and having really good luck, um, especially with the no-till soybean side of things. But a key part of that was that they were learning from others around them. Dad, you know, has been involved in, in ag and in different organizations from a local to a federal level and, you know, just sees and he, he understands it. He gets the concepts, but he understands that, we've got to be able to work with mother nature, not against her to drive the bottom line. And that's what he's after. I mean, he's, yeah, sure. We want the environmental impacts, but he's doing these things because he sees where it can help to improve the bottom line, uh, where it can pay the bills. We're a small farm, you know, 700 acres in conventional row crop uh, is tough. I mean, that's, that's definitely a little bit below average for a lot of the farms around us. Uh, So we got to be creative and we got to be competitive and diversifying, finding new ways to manage our inputs and manage our expenses and continue to drive yield or other sources of revenue. That's really crucial. Yeah, I think that's a key takeaway to all of this is being able to manage the farm, um, have that return on investment for trying new things. You talked about experimentation, talked about doing the, the field trials that you guys do. All of that has to keep progressing forward, right? Because we can't have a sustainable 
impact on our community, on the environment without having a sustainable operation. So we talked a lot with Jerry Hatfield in the podcast before this on um, where farming has been the last 30 years and where we think farming is going next. And so I see you as this young millennial um, individual that's coming up that you've got these ideas. You're not afraid to take the bull by the horn and make changes. So let's get a little bit more practical. What, what's the one thing that you guys implemented um, that you thought had a good impact? And, and mm-hmm. I'm fully aware that this is a systems approach. And so I get criticized sometimes. People say, don't make me just pick out one element of the system. Um, but just if you're a 101, if you're a beginner listening to this conversation, what's what's kind of that first step? Well, so the first step versus kind of how I was taking your original question is a little bit different. So where I was going originally with like, what's really working well for us, it's the relay cropping for sure. And which the relay cropping is just the extreme version of what I consider to be the first step, which is cereal rye ahead of soybeans. That's step number one, cereal rye following the corn ahead of the soybeans. Yeah. It might not get that big in the fall. Um, You can drill your soybeans or plant your soybeans directly into it in the spring at kind of whatever timing you want. Let that cereal rye grow alongside those beans for as long as possible. We're going all the way to when that soybean or when that cereal rye starts dropping pollen, that's when we'll come in and hit it with a shot of herbicide, one pass herbicide program, and that's it. Uh, Quarter generic roundup, that's it. We've cut our herbicide program on our beans by about 75%. So we'll plant our beans into the into the cereal rye, wait, let it get to maturity, then hit it with uh, herbicide. Uh, but this relay crop that's really been paying off for us, we don't use herbicide at all. Rather, we wait until July. We harvest the cereal rye over the top of the soybeans. We have our cereal rye that we then keep, use that as our cover crop for the next year. And we're seeing that we can still raise 70 bushel acre soybeans, even after running them over with a combine. Just amazing to see the synergy there between the beans and the rye, but it just goes back to that principle of diversity within soil health, having the grass and the legume grown together. The synergistic effect has just been mind blowing. Uh, We've done it for three years now, continuing to scale up about a third of our soybean acres. We're in relay crop here this year. Um, And it's something that like, if it wasn't going to work this year with how dry we were in the spring was a year that it should not have worked. And it still worked amazingly well. We had our best soybean yields ever. So just give me like one sentence definition. What is relay cropping? Like really hone in. What is it? What are you talking about? Relay cropping boils down to plant, plant, harvest, harvest, where double crop is plant, harvest, plant, harvest. Okay. Okay, So like a lot of people might double crop wheat and soybeans where you you plant your wheat in the fall, harvest them in the spring plant your soybeans, then directly following the wheat and harvest that in the fall. What we do is we plant the rye in the fall, plant the soybeans in the spring into the rye, just like a normal cover crop. But then instead of terminating it, we harvest it in the summer. Then we come back and we harvest the soybeans in the fall. That sounds like, I mean, that that's, how did you get there? I mean, that like obviously, was, I know. I mean, I'm like, that wasn't, we we're talking about plan A, plan B. I mean, I, you know, I've talked to Chris teach out. He was one of the first persons that I interviewed about relay. Um, and, you know, just the excitement in his voice about like, man, I was able to do that. And then, and then we did it again. So yeah. there's gotta be this, uh, you know, that felt like the gateway, I guess is right. Rye, rye relay is kind of like the gateway into some other, uh, soil health practices. 
Yeah, I mean, but it starts with planting soybeans green into rye and letting it get big and then terminating it later and showing that even with that mass, you know, even with a five foot tall cereal rye crop, your beans are going to be fine and they're going to be amazing actually. But with this, then you just say, well, why don't we just harvest that rye? Yeah. Keep it for cover crop seed. The main barrier to being able to grow this whole movement, where's the seed going to come from? You can't go like a lot of these cover crop seeds. You can't buy them right now, at least here in Southeast Iowa. The, The availability of some of these seeds is not there. Definitely not at an affordable price. So we've got to be able to get more supply of seed, especially being in Iowa. Iowa needs to diversify. The Midwest needs to diversify. We need to get other crops into the system. Why not grow our own cover crops? Grow our own cover crop seed. Yeah. It's a uh, huge emerging market right there. And the local market, I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to build a new market. I don't have to process it. I don't have to do anything. And uh, there you go. And it's a better value than selling it into a grain market as far as the value per bushel. And it helps to offset other costs and there's no transportation and the whole deal. Like, I think that's a massive opportunity uh, to be able to, like I said, diversify our cropping systems, solve a lot of problems on where's the seed going to come from. The Iowa goal is to have 12 and a half million acres of cover crop seed. Nice. Right now we're looking at have er, 12 and a half million acres of cover crop is the Iowa nutrient reduction strategy goal. And right now, like we're struggling to get 2 million acres of cover crops planted. How the heck are we ever going to get to 12 and a half million? So I get what you're saying. What other species could we grow for cover crops? I mean, what's another kind of easy entry, no brainer after rye? Yep. So wheat we've used a lot as well. And I really like wheat ahead of corn because it's got a lower carbon to nitrogen ratio. It's not going to be as aggressive in the spring. Um, it's not going to get away from you quite like the, the rye will. So if you're new and especially to plant ahead of your corn, winter wheat is a great option. Um, and you still get the overwintering. Other things we've used includes uh, crimson clover, balanza clover, sweet clover, barley, annual rye, rapeseed. Uh, we've gotten some volunteer uh, tillage radishes to, to come back. Um, I'm missing a couple other things too, as far as for um, winter cover crop species. And then of course, in the spring with our interseeded stuff, we got all kinds of different, so 20 some different species of all kinds of things there with other other legumes and other uh, brassicas, uh, all kinds of different stuff that we can utilize. And I've heard you talk about the economics of regenerative agriculture, in particular cover crop use, because like you said, and I've had comments on social media, well, it's not cheap. You just can't add a cover crop. Um, When you're talking to these farmer groups that you have the privilege to talk to, and it, it's that 101 getting the foot wet with cover crops. How do you overcome the question of, of uh, cover crop cost, which we've already covered with grow your own, right? Yep. Um, but what other factors are you looking at in the system for ROI on cover crops? Step number one is not to grow your own cover crop seed. I mean, <laughs> get a couple years into it. We didn't start doing that until we were three or four years in. And really it was, the story there was, Cover crop seed was in short supply, so the expense was high. I'm buddies with the local cover crop seed dealer, um, Trent Stout with Stout Seeds. And I was like, well, Trent, hey, you keep your rye, sell it to somebody else. We'll take the winter wheat and we'll just grow that. No problem. It's about the same, same cost, do essentially the same kind of thing. And I want to help them out. And then I was like, well, dad, I mean, this is going to be an ongoing problem. Why don't we try to harvest some of this stuff? And I was working with Lauren Steinlogging and all these crazy guys, you know, and I'm like, well, Growing just winter wheat on its own isn't going to pay the bills, but we can relay it and then maybe that could work. 
looking at cover crop though, has got to be a offensive decision. And that's a key thing. My key, um, the answer here really on how do you make cover crops pay cover crops have been branded incorrectly. Okay. Cover crops have been branded as a defensive management tool, defense against erosion, defense against, you know, these water quality issues, things like that. But cover crops have got to be a offensive management tool. The cover crop is my nutrient stabilizer. The cover crop is my herbicide program. The cover crop, sure, it's it's protecting my soil and keeping those nutrients there, but it's recycling those nutrients. It's pulling carbon down in. It's building up my organic matter, building my water infiltration, building my resilience. Like it's all those other offensive things. That's what pays the bill. What we've been able to see from that, uh, could we do a lot of Haney testing? That's, you know, obviously I spend a lot of my time with my company, Continuum Mag. We do the soil health testing and stuff. And because of all that data, we've been able to decrease our synthetic fertilizer by 45%. We've decreased our pesticides by 75%. We haven't replanted anything in more than three years. We haven't used lime on our farm in about nine years now. And our pHs have gone up uh, because we've cut out a lot of your salts and stuff. And then uh, we've improved our organic matter on some of our farms by 1.4% in the last 10 years. Uh, Our water infiltration right now, I can infiltrate four inches of rainfall in less than five minutes on the farm. Uh, The first inch of rain, I can infiltrate in six seconds. Like we don't have flooding. We don't have erosion. Our terraces don't do anything. Our terraces are worthless now. Our waterways are pretty well worthless now because we don't have that moving water. That water is getting in our soil. We're holding on to it till later in the year. This is our best soybean yields ever. Uh, corn was on pretty well par, pretty well average here this year, which was not the same for a lot of other folks around us uh, that were suffering from lack of rainfall here this year. Uh, but we were able to hold on and, and be more resilient, be more predictable, be more stable. And like I said, I mean, the soybeans then, uh, because we're using really full season maturity soybeans, they were amazing. This is such a fascinating conversation, and I'm so excited that you joined us here today. We've talked in the past about how there was this group of regenerators breaking through into this movement saying, you know, we can find these soil health practices that can give us a a natural approach to farming, a, a systems approach to farming. So that's been going on for a number of years. We have, we are indebted to these leaders that have come before us to really kickstart this. I want to talk about regenerative ag 2.0 and probably my favorite topic. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, what is happening in the last two years has been mind blowing. We are seeing Every single food company now is talking about a regenerative supply chain. Every single food company is working with farmers. They, they, we're starting to see this farmer-led movement actually gain traction. What excites you the most right now from your perspective? Yeah, so definitely, you know, seeing so many opportunities, so much insane amount of money that wants to come into this. Now, a lot of that money has kind of a carbon angle to it, at least from my perspective, a lot of the money is wanting to to go into carbon and offsetting carbon footprint and decarbonizing supply chains, things like that, which is fine. That's one of the offsets of improving your soil health. Like I I get it. That's an okay angle to package it around, but really you got to implement the principles. You got to stick to, you know, implementing the regenerative systems. Uh, My initial takeaway with kind of your thought there, Jess, was, you know, with all these companies wanting to do regen ag, well, what's the definition of regenerative agriculture? We've got to be able to get something more consistent there. 
and uh, we can use mine if we want. My definition of regenerative ag is to continually implement and continually improve upon your implementation of the principles of soil health. So there's the six principles of soil health, maintain the armor, live in roots, minimize disturbance, diversity, integrate livestock, all within the context of your farm. As long as you're continuously focused on those and moving the needle, I believe that you are at least on that regenerative path. You are regenerating, you are moving the needle, and uh, you are a regenerative farmer, or at least becoming a regenerative farmer on the journey of being a regenerative farmer. And uh, and I think you should be able to participate in these initiatives. And then we should be able to quantify some of the outcomes, whether that be you're reducing your carbon footprint, you're improving water quality, you're mitigating flooding or mitigating against aquifer issues, you're improving biodiversity and habitat, you're improving nutrient density, like whatever your end result is going to be, that's great. But it all starts with understand the principles of soil health, understand how to be more resilient on your farm. I hope that some of these initiatives and some of these supply chain things, some of these like ecosystem service markets, I hope that they can be long-term. I think that'd be awesome. But what is long-term is actually improving the resiliency of your farm, actually driving the biological function of your soil, actually building up your soil health, your your carbon in the system, the organic matter, the biological activity, the function of that soil. That's what's long-term. And that's what we can control as farmers. If there's an initiative from the outside that can help to get you the financing to do it, sweet. But understand the actual principles, understand and, and teach that. That's the legacy that we got to live on. And, uh, and there's so many tools to be able to do it. And the data is available, um, but very interested to see just the big bucks and stuff that want to go into this. Like we have to think bigger as agriculturalists. We have to think, I have to continuously really push myself to think bigger. Um, not in terms of how do we take initiatives that are talking about investing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into agriculture, but not only hundreds of millions, but billions and, and even trillions towards solving these problems and improving the resiliency and improving the, the outcomes, like trillions of dollars, insane amounts of money that want to go into solving these like, kind of things. Like, trillions of yeah, dollars. Trillions. Oh, and I did it wrong. Which way do you do it? trillion dollars. Yeah. And, uh, but just crazy, like to fathom that amount of money and push that wants to go into this, but we have to be able to show where to put those dollars, how to accurately invest them and what the outcome is going to be. Because those money, that type of money has not started to really flow yet. No. And There's that's a lot of headlines. What- there is a lot of, there's a lot of press releases, there's oh, a lot yeah. of headlines. Let's see the conversion of these projects. And it seems to me like we have the knowledge, we have the information. It's like Russell Hedrick's presentation um, a while back, you know, with all, with the Lego set, you've got all the pieces of the Legos. Let's build it out. Let's confirm this and let's do this. Um, regenerative agriculture, it's place-based, meaning that the way in which you achieve your principle might look different in Iowa than we do here in Kansas, but ultimately we've got the pieces of the puzzle and let's start building. So with that, Mitchell, it's uh, been my pleasure to have you on the podcast, man. Always fun to chat, of course, yes. And uh, we'll definitely talk to you soon. Um, I'm super easy to find if anyone's got follow-up stuff all over online. 
it'll be in the links uh i'm Being sure links. so link it in but yeah uh continue mag on on everything so i'm all over the place you just google mitchell hora and this face comes up and you're like that's me. the guy you'll yeah find yeah him. you'll find you'll find me we're an open book Keep on keeping on, my friend, and we will see you on the other side. Thank you for joining the Soul Help You podcast. Great Great to be on. Thanks. Appreciate you joining us today. And for more soil health information from High Plains Journal, please sign up. Hit the subscribe button at the bottom of the page. I look forward to growing together.